going on, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of the Unfounded Podcast. I am your host, Chris Turner. Um, back at it, guys. I got lots of ideas recently. And honestly, like I've said before, I'm very bored right now. So I'm going to keep pumping some stuff out to you guys. <clears throat> Excuse me. Um, but anyway, I'm doing good still. It's only, what, two days since the last episode. I hope you enjoyed that last one. Um, or was it yesterday? Did I make that yesterday? Crap, I did it yesterday. Uh, ignore me. So yeah, yesterday's episode... <laughs> Like I said, I've been pumping them out so much, I, I can't really keep track of the days. And also, like I like I said in yesterday's episode, um, time elongation, shortening, all of the, the malle- malleability of time itself is being made apparent, abundantly clear right now. Uh, because time seems to kind of be slipping away, or I'm losing track of time from nothing else. Uh, but anyway, uh, I do have some stuff top of mind this morning. And actually, uh, this morning, I kind of wanted to focus on a certain article uh, and, uh, image actually that I found, um, I just posted on my Facebook right before this. Uh, but I think it's important to talk about because, um, it has to do with the economy, the market itself, uh, and how kind of, uh, the econ- uh, wall street's performance, how well that, you know, kind of represents, uh, the rest of us, how well we're doing. You know what I mean? Um, I think quite often we associate the market success with like individual success, uh, and this is kind of one of the unfounded ideas that I want to proud today. All right. So, um, but to do that, we're going to start off with an, uh, a little article I pulled up, uh, found earlier today, actually, that I found extremely interesting. And I'm going to read most of the, the uh, key points here for you, but I will post the link to the full up uh, article um, on in the episode notes. Okay. So uh, this one is from CNBC. Uh, it's, uh, Matt, it's about Mad Money with Jim Cramer. So if any of you guys... Uh, watch CNBC, uh, the Market Watch, all that kind of stuff. Um, Jim Cramer is a very popular uh, economist uh, and um, kind of Wall Street speculator uh, that has a show. He has that show where he like bangs on all the buttons and stuff and makes the crazy noises. Anyway, this uh, this this is the guy we're talking about, right? So uh, the title of this article is Jim Cramer responds to viral mad money picture. There's a seething anger sweeping this country aimed at Wall Street. So uh, key points. At the end of the day, the stock market's made up of big, huge companies, not the small to medium-sized businesses that are are the backbone of our economy, CNBC's Jim Cramer said Tuesday. That's a quote by Jim. Uh, Next key point, I agree, it's messed up, but the contrast between a roaring stock market and an obliterated job market does tell you a lot about what's happening at this moment, he said. This third key point, you don't have to like it. I know I don't, but it's the big dogs with pristine balance sheets and gigantic scale that can survive the lockdown, the Mad Money host said, as the Dow rallies against the backdrop of record layoffs. So the reason that he's quoting all of this, you know, the reason that he's saying all this, obviously, is because uh, the market, <clears throat> uh, at least yesterday, if I believe this was yesterday that this happened, um, doing really good. You know, the market's soaring right now. Um, and there was this picture that was taken of one, you know, it's a kind of a screenshot of one of Jim's shows. I think it was yesterday. Was this yesterday? April, no, it was April 10th, it looks like. April 9th, April 10th. AOC, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, uh, was one of the ma- main people that retweeted this. Just a uh, disclaimer, I'm not her biggest fan. There's a lot of reasons for that, but we can get into that in another time, right? Um, anyway, she retweeted it and uh, with the caption, when late-stage capitalism takes a selfie. And the p- image itself, I'll, you know, you can go to my Facebook to see it if you want to see it. But it's, it's a picture, a screenshot of Jim's show. In the background is a, uh, is a screen that says the Dow's best week since 1938. And it kind of has a graph of like an exponential increase, right? And then uh, right below that, the banner says more than 16 million Americans have lost jobs in three weeks. So it's this really stark contrast between 
the experience that a lot of Americans are going through right now, and then the uh, kind of how some of the biggest organizations in our economy are benefiting, right? They're obviously having the best week since 1938. Something's off there, right? I found this really fascinating as soon as I saw it, right? Because I think it's pointing out a lot of the issues that we've been talking about. Uh, And uh, so I wanted to cover it a little bit. So, you know, um, like I said, I don't want to read the whole article because, again, this was written by Tyler Clifford and uh, it's his work. I don't want to present it as if it's my own, um, but I, you know, I just wanted to read the key points there for you so you understand what I'm talking about. But if you do want to read the full article that he wrote, uh, it will be in the show notes. Anyway, um, the reason I bring it back is because this is a, this is something I've been, I've been um, feeling for a while is that our economy no longer serves us. Um, some of my friends that we often, you know, that I sit down and have these kind of more long form conversations with, uh, I've talked about this a lot with, you know, saying for the last couple of years, actually, that the economy itself, uh, capitalism has a, some inherent problems, right? Like most, like every, like every system does, like no system's perfect. Um, so I want you to know from the outset that by criticizing our system, I'm not saying it's, um, like inherently bad or something like that. You know what I mean? Uh, I, I think that we, you know, we've developed systems based on our, you know, the information data sets we have at the time. Uh, and we try to make the best systems possible at the time, at the time with the information we have. I think that's really what happens. And, you know, we have this capitalist system that's worked for the last three or 400 years, but I do believe has some, uh, obviously some issues inbuilt within that system that incentivizes bad actors, actually rewards bad actors and creates exactly this kind of dichotomy that you're seeing exemplified in these, it's this screenshot, you know, where it's, it's separated. The benefit, what's, what's good for the stock market isn't always what's good for the American people. Right. And that's, that's something that I think, um, that's a point that we need to make right now. Uh, because it's one of, this is the area that we need to focus on if we want to fix or make the economy work better for people like Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez always talks about, right. She's kind of this people's champion. At least that's the way she presents herself. Right. And, and we need to kind of help help people help themselves. Um, one of the best ways you do that, I think, is by pointing out the weak spots in the economy, the, 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 the places where the economy is producing in, uh, um, needless inequality, right? Uh, I think there's... Well, here's the thing, though. I, I want to I be really careful here because needless inequality, like that... <clears throat> That assumes that you know what is nece- what forms of equality are necessary and, and, and inequality is necessary, you know what I mean? And I don't think that's true. <clears throat> There's an audacity built into that idea, the idea that you could like, glean um, how much suffering is necessary, you know what I mean, or how much um, inequality is necessary exactly, which is impossible for any one person or any, I, I think, humanity to glean. So it's more like how do you, um, how do you make a system that reduces suffering the most? but also recognizes that suffering is an inbuilt part of nature. Um, <clears throat> I think that's kind of the trick of it and making sure that, that people aren't incentivized to benefit off of suffering, which is um, one, of the th- one of the places I think we've gone wrong in this economy is, is there's no checks in place to keep uh, bad actors or people that are just greedy, right? Which I would say I would label as bad actors, that negative aspect of people's, you know, personality, their, their desire to want more and more and more and more and more. I think that creates bad actors, <clears throat> selfishness at least. And, and this kind of selfishness uh, can leech uh, into society in really like kind of insidious ways. Um, but partially what's happening, I think, in this, and it's exemplified in this in this screenshot, is that, that, you know, this has been happening for a long time, and it's just very blatantly obvious that the market's benefit, what benefits the market does not benefit the most of us, most of us right? 
So what do we do with this, right? Because the other thing that's really, I think, is happening right now um, is I think a lot of the richest people in our societies right now are... I think they're wielding their wealth to try to generate more because it's precisely in the times when people are panicking, when you know, when people are afraid, when you kind of can predict what they're going to do more readily. They're hard to control, but you, you, you have an idea. More, you have a better idea of what the general population is going to do if they're all scared. You know what I mean? <clears throat> and so you get them all scared and then, you know, you, uh, you entice them back into the market. I, I, it's why I, I would be very weary and again I'm not an economist but I would be very weary of getting into the market or buying into the market or trying to buy the bottom right now um, because I think there's a lot of fat cats that are betting on you trying to do that exactly they're, they're betting on you trying to get into the market precisely when you shouldn't and then selling off right? and I think that that's oh, oh an alarm I don't know why there's an alarm going off today hm, anyway uh, I think there's a lot of people that are betting on that and uh not a lot of people, but a few very powerful and, and very, very well-off people. Um, like I said, you got to be very careful. I think there's a, there's a lot of things that we have considered founded that we need to start looking at as not the most solid. Like, uh, for instance, the dollar itself, I think you need to start questioning and being a little weary of. We may be reaching a point where the dollar is not is no longer going to be kind of that stalwart representation of value in the world right um i think that that's probably going to transition into a digital form like bitcoin or something like that the reason i say that is because it's a it's a it's a money is a technology you know like, I mean, the dollar is a technology and it's just a very old form of technology you know it's very very old antiquated carrying around a piece of paper that represents a certain value is a very old idea and it's 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 it, it, you know we did it with coins before that right <laughs> but it's it's that old i mean it's it's it, it goes back to like roman times you know greek times like and and even older than that probably you know every every most modern cultures all the way back to i think like macedonia had you know currency system of some sort so um you know it's 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 this really old technology that we're failing to recognize as such. And there's this new technology that's the same thing. It's, it operates in the same realm, I guess, that has come to be in the last 10 years that is, is actually showing, I think, more stability than the actual market itself now. Everybody criticized Bitcoin and all these other, like, you know, uh, coin markets for how unstable, uh, unstable they were. Well, go look at them the last two or three weeks and compare them to the stock market. <laughs> There's still volatility, but they're starting to look a little more similar. I think there's a reason for that. Um, I think that there's wealth that's about to be transferred from the stock market, traditional stock markets, into uh, digital currency markets like Bitcoin. And I think that there's going to be a massive transfer of wealth very quickly at some point here fairly soon that you need to watch for. And this is exactly what's going to precipitate the economic collapse and the downfall of the dollar itself, which is what something we have to be really, you know, that's partially why the Fed, when they passed this stimulus package, also passed, you know, created the digital dollar. Let's look that up. I'm pretty sure that's what they did. Digital dollar.
Um, let's see, let's see. Uh, let's see. Okay, so this is from Forbes. It says, forget the coronavirus stimulus bills digital dollar. The digital euro is coming. Digital dollar proposals included in an early draft of a massive U.S. coronavirus-induced stimulus bill have uh, reignited the debate over government-run payment platforms. A provision for a digital dollar was part of a draft stimulus bill. Oh, I thought it passed. Maybe I was wrong about that. Huh. I thought it was in the, the final version. Maybe it was. Maybe it wasn't. We'll have to figure that out. Um, a provision for a digital dollar was part of a draft stimulus bill put together by the U.S. Democratic Party as a means to make payments to people and businesses hit by coronavirus-induced economic turmoil, but it didn't make the final cut. While plans for the digital dollar have fallen by the wayside for now, others aren't far behind. China's digital yen, or yuan, I'm sorry, is in the pipeline, and now a digital euro is being trialed by France's central bank. Okay, so this is basically saying this is by Billy uh, Bambro, Bambro, and again, I'll post this for you guys uh, in the show notes from Forbes. Um, but it's it, 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 he brings up a good point, Billy does, and, and this is kind of the point I'm trying to bring up as well, is the world is moving towards this digital form. And these markets itself... Uh, I, the dollar has always like since we since we got rid of the gold standard, the dollar itself has always been backed like the value of it is 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 backed by purely consumer sentiment. You know, your belief in the dollar's value itself is what gives it value in a weird way, um, <clears throat> which is precisely is a similar is similar to what I think happens in a Bitcoin market, um, except. Uh, like how it like. Uh, like you would traditionally invest in the U.S. dollar, I believe. I may be wrong about this by buying like U.S. Treasury bonds, right? Um, and, and but which is a very it's usually one of the more stable purchases you can buy because the the value of the dollar itself is fairly stable, right? But what I'm wondering is if what the what the crypto markets are doing is kind of allowing people to represent the consumer their their belief in the value of the currency itself with another currency, which is really weird. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like you can take any currency and trans and, and show how much you believe in the value of Bitcoin itself by putting that much currency into it. You know what I mean? And so you're backing currency with currency in a weird way with which is, you know, it, it seems needlessly complicated, but the way I'm viewing it is, is as kind of almost like a supply chain. Like, like if those markets, those coin markets are the end of the supply chain, the dollar itself or the Euro or whatever other kind of, you know, currency we have currently, you know, in, in different systems across the world, those are the kind of the intermediaries for these new markets they're the backbone they're they're they are the gold standard for those markets right your dollar that you invest in bitcoin is what serves to back up the value of bitcoin and so i see at some point it's going to have to be triggered by a global event a global economic downturn or some kind of fear-based event where people get scared pull their money out and transfer it into that but if that happens if if too many fat cats or just a few fat cats do that at the same time the value of the dollar will crash. The stock market will crash, and in turn, the value of the dollar will crash. Right? That's what I think, at least. 
and they'll and Bitcoin, these other kind of digital currencies will absolutely skyrocket in a matter of like hours. I'm talking because you're going to have, I mean, you have to think about, you know, the biggest investors, uh, biggest investors, let's see, investors on Wall Street wealth. Let's see. Let's see how much, um, let's see the richest investors. That's what I want to, I want to find out. I know there's, you know, a bunch of hedge fund people that run hedge funds and stuff like that. Um, so 10 of the richest investors in the world. Number one is Warren Buffett, obviously. Okay. As a CEO of the massive Midwestern conglomerate Berkshire Hathaway. So yeah, he has the, uh, the Berkshire. Um, I'm trying to figure out how much money they have. But, well, let's see. Warren Buffett's wealth. $74.24 billion U.S. dollars. Now, what's the current value of Bitcoin? Let's see here. 6727 U.S. dollars. That's for one Bitcoin. So how many Bitcoins could Mr. Warren Buffett buy? Let's see. Um, I'm going to do a real quick calculation just to see. Uh, so what? Let's see. How much was it? 74. That's a lot of money. 70, trying to write out $74 billion. Have you ever tried to do that? 74, 0, 0, 0, 0, 0, 0, right? 0, 0, 0. Is that right? Is that trillion? That's trillion. Uh, that's 1,000. That's no, oh my God, that number just doesn't look right. Oh my God. Bro. Mr. Warren, you're you're way too rich, my man. <laughs> I, I I mean I that's I shouldn't say that, but I actually really like Warren Buffett. If you've ever you know he he's he does a he's philanthropic. He he reinvests a lot of that. Um, Jeff Bezos obviously has 136.63 billion. Bill Gates 103 billion. Bernard Arnault 90 billion. You see what I'm saying? There's like five people that have a ridiculous amount of wealth. If one or two of those people Right, so here I'm going to divide this now. Divided by, like for instance, right now if Warren Buffett invested all of his net worth, which is could he would never do because it's probably in a lot of different buried assets, right? But if he was to every cent he has into Bitcoin, he would be able to buy. Eleven million three thirty four thousand eight hundred ninety two Bitcoin. Valued at six thousand eight hundred dollars each. So I guess I don't know why I did the calculation because I I can't figure out how to go from there to figure out how it would affect the price of Bitcoin because it's a pretty complicated. I think that'd be pretty complicated. But anyway, you get the point. If somebody dumped that much money into the Bitcoin market right away, it would skyrocket. The value of of Bitcoin would absolutely skyrocket, like in the matter of a second, as soon as you did it. Now, what if one or two of those guys do it at the same time? What if Bezos and Warren Buffett get together or at the same time see the same market trends, see the market starting to crash or are planning on the market crashing and pull all their money out at the same time? Put it into Bitcoin. What happens? The U.S. dollar crashes. The the economy itself, the Wall, Wall Street crashes. And with it, the value of the U.S. dollar crashes because we also printed a bunch of money at the same time, right? Like this is what I see possibly happening if we're not careful. You know, the ins- 
The incentives for the, the investor do not always align with what's best for the country itself. <laughs> right? Uh, and we granted the investor a lot of power. You know? When we allow this kind of wealth accumulation to happen. And now we have two or three people that can literally determine the direction of the entire, the global market, the global economy, by where they decide to put their money. Isn't that fantastic? <laughs> you know what I mean? Usually, usually it had to be like a like a country. That's that's the wealth of a lot of countries. You're sitting here, like the GDP of many countries. Let's see, like the GDP. What, what's that? GDP of top 100 countries. Let's see what that is. I want to see what where it ranks. Not per capita. Let's see here. We've got GDP, purchasing power, uh, the billions of dollars. <laughs> uh, what? Okay, yeah. So, I mean, it's what it looks like, at least, if I'm reading this correctly. Um, people like Warren Buffett have as much purchasing power, technically, as... Countries like Bahrain, Slovenia, Macau, Yemen, Uruguay, Nepal, Bolivia, Costa Rica, Lebanon, Paraguay, uh, Jordan, Uganda, Cameroon. If you want to go to Jeff Bezos, which is almost double the wealth, the net wealth of uh, of Warren Buffett, uh, you get to jump all the way up to places like Puerto Rico, Cuba, Guatemala, Bulgaria, Tanzania, Kenya, Dominican Republic, Sudan. These are countries. New Zealand. These are entire countries. So that's what's happened. That this is this is partially a product of our economic system. It's one of the down the negative aspects of capitalism itself is it allows this unfettered wealth generation or wealth accumulation to happen, right? And just like you don't want to have one person in a in a government system have all the power, you don't want to have one or two people in an economic system have all the money because it's also it, it is effectively power then over all of your systems. You know, when you when you when you've allowed money to infiltrate our political system, where you can influence it by, you know, by by investing in or supporting different political campaigns. Well, what you just did is also granted people a lot of political power too. When that infiltrates, so those two systems, you know, cross contaminated in like what the 1970s, late 1970s, with Citizens United, like that, that all. You you grant you you made the investor more powerful than the politician. Understandably so, because politicians are the direct, you know, you can point to the politician as the direct cause of, or you can blame them very directly for pretty much everything that's going on in society, any negative consequences, right? So take away their power, right? Take away the politician's power. They're the bad ones. Give it to the economy, the economists. Give it to the investors. They're the good ones. No, wrong. They're all bad ones. We're all humans. <laughs> no. You don't give. You don't just transfer power to another group of people, thinking that they have the better plan or they have the. They're more moral. They, no. You operate based on the assumption that everybody's shitheads and they're all going to try to take advantage of you. Give them too much power. <laughs> you know what I mean? But, hey, you know, freedom, right? The American dream, right? It's one of the inherent flaws within the American dream, the system we've created. 
everybody can't become wealthy, everybody can't have this kind of limitless wealth generation. And when you allow bad actors to be rewarded within that system, you create a dominance hierarchy that makes it almost nearly impossible for wealth to not be accumulated amongst a small, a very, very few. I would argue, I don't know. Like I said, I don't want to be too critical of a lot of these people. There's one of the people, one name on this list that I am very critical of. <laughs> I'm going to leave it at that. Um, but at the same time, I think that this is, this is a big problem, you know, uh, where we start on this, this Jim Cramer thing, right? This picture, the Dow's best week since 1938, more than 16 million Americans have lost jobs in three weeks at the same time. What's wrong there? What's off? Something's backwards, something's sideways, Right. So all these backwards incentives that have been at play for the last 30 years are now popping their head up. They don't, the system can't sustain itself. There's some fundamental flaw. And it won't take very long, very many screenshots looking like that, before people are going to get really angry. And people are going to get really mad. There's a lot of, if you go on to read this article, one of the things it says, one of the things Jim says is people, like, it's, it's in the top, I think I already read it. Um... Let's see. At the end of the day, the stock market's made up of big, huge companies, not the small to medium-sized businesses that are the backbone of our economy. So, that shows you. When the backbone of our economy, those small businesses are doing the worst, all those big businesses are doing the best, right? And it makes sense. Where are you going to get all your shit? You're getting all your toilet paper from Target and Walmart and Amazon and all these ones. Even if it wasn't intentionally created, all of this stuff that's going on, you know, the, the coronavirus wasn't intentional... There's a power vacuum right now that people are grabbing and organizations are grabbing at. You know, I, I was thinking politically when I initially said this, but, you know, I, this, this, you know, I was talking to my parents when this first all started to happen. I kept on telling them I have this weird feeling that somebody's, this is a power grab. Somebody's, somebody's behind the scenes doing something right now. And, 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 and we're going to find out in a little while who's trying to grab the power. It may be the organizations, the institute, the, the, the companies. You know what I mean? Trying to grab up and seep up all of those little businesses while they can. And if they're too effective at it, they're going to absolutely cripple the U.S. economy. The backbone of our economy. The very institutions that are supposed to be the backbone of our economy may cripple it. Backwards incentives. <laughs> you see what I'm saying? Oh, man. I just found this absolutely... Oh, sorry. Why? No, 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 no. I don't want you to play a video. Stop it. Stop it. Stop it. Stop it. No, no, no. No, 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 no. No, no, no. Stop it. All right. Hold on. Hold on, guys. Sorry. I am. I don't want a master class. It's trying to give me an advertisement here. Sorry, guys. And uh, I don't want to take a master class right now. Thank you. Anyway, but those actually look pretty good. Have you seen the master class classes where they have like really famous individuals teach you something? I don't know how I feel about that. It's very cool that you have access to those people. I like that. But you also know how I feel about experts, right? <laughs> so, uh, I guess maybe, I don't know. You get what I'm saying. Um, but yeah, so I, I think there's, we got to watch this. You know, we got to watch how, uh, how the, I think the next month or two unfolds economically because, <clears throat> um, 
what did I post? Did I post it the other day? There's a lot of economists now that, you know, two or three weeks ago were saying, oh, oh, it's going to recover. It's going to recover. We're going to be back on a quick recovery. Don't worry about it. They're now saying this is going to be really bad, right? And it's mainly centered around the unemployment numbers and stuff that I talked about yesterday, right? Um, the one thing we don't know is those unemployment numbers are really inflated because, you know, obviously it was, you know, the service industry, that those sectors that got hit the hardest. And that's a big part of our economy is just those you know, restaurants, things like that. The question we don't know is how much, how is that unemployment number going to stay the same? Is it going to hold steady even after, you know, the the restrictions are lifted? And I think it will because I think a lot of those businesses that were smaller aren't going to be there. Those restaurants aren't going to be there. So that unemployment number is going to stay pretty high. Now, like I said yesterday, if you have people that have, you know, hey, I've got 20, you know, here's $20,000 you can use. Well, they're going to use that up then. <laughs> you know what I mean? And if they, I think if every single person that applied for unemployment uses up their unemployment benefit completely, uh, we're screwed. You know what I mean? We're absolutely screwed, I think, at that point. Um, I just don't see how that's sustainable. We're going to bankrupt each individual state doing that, uh, you know? And because honestly, the way, the, where that wealth has to come from is the billions upon billions of dollars is now accumulated amongst five people. <laughs> all that wealth that's the that's the money that needs to be you know reinvested or stimulate the economy is the money that's accumulated with one fucking person but instead we're gonna print money you know what I mean and pay people off anyway destroying the value of the dollar in the process you're increasing the supply of the dollar when you do that you know six trillion dollars worth of dollars just printed like that you decrease the value of it instantly. If you took value, if you took money that was already in circulation, like I was speculating, you don't have that problem. But it's the it's the stratification of the money that makes it necessary to print more. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? That's what I think, at least. It's not a zero sum game either, which is partially why, you know, money now is not a zero sum game. It used to be, and it probably should be, I think, because that's how you keep you know, the value of money fairly consistent and predictable. Back it up with something like gold, a gold standard or a silver standard or whatever. As long as you keep a certain amount of gold backing up that va- the value of that money, that money has value. You know what I mean? As long as you don't print too much of it, you'll be okay. But when you take that backing behind, then it's all consumer sentiment. How much do they believe in that money and how much is in circulation? It's still also relevant, right? It's all about purchasing power. If you had a fixed amount of something and now there's more of it and you still have the same percentage of that amount, you have less purchasing power. Value of the dollar is less. So, um, I think that it's important that we transition into a digital currency fairly quickly. Um, I think it's important that there's a digital, you know, marketplace similar to Bitcoins that you can invest in the digital dollar the same way um, so that the Bitcoin that Bitcoin has something to compete with <clears throat> that can actually compete with it Bitcoin's too big right now it's a whale you know I don't think any other currency in the world can compete against Bitcoin right now save the dollar so you need to transfer it into a digital I, I thought they did and I'm actually really disappointed I thought that they established a digital dollar with this passing the $6 trillion stimulus bill or whatever they, they did, but apparently not, which is not good. Um, 
Let's see. Calls for the creation of a central bank digital currencies has been growing louder over recent months, spurred on by social media giant Facebook's plans to launch a cryptocurrency sometime this year and China's imminent digital yuan project. Something you should be very scared of, right? Central bank digital currencies could be seen as a tacit endorsement of Bitcoin and cryptocurrencies, especially if they were to use Bitcoin's underlying blockchain technology, which for those of you who don't understand blockchain, basically what it is is a way of processing transactions or information. It doesn't have to be a transaction, any kind of data, <coughs> excuse me, processing any kind of data set um, securely by, by breaking it into different blocks and sending it over a vast network to different nodes in that network for processing and then recompiling it all uh, when it's needed, right? Um, basically, what you do is you create a network of computers that make makes one big supercomputer that doesn't remember where it sends stuff. <laughs> That's what it is, basically. So let's say I want to buy some Bitcoin. Um, the way that 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 transaction gets processed is by being sent in little pieces to a bunch of computers you know uh and now it used to be just people computers in people's homes but now it's like these big server processing farms and things like that um it gets sent to that each little chunk gets processed and each individual chunk could be anywhere in the world right it could be you know one chunks in china one chunks in the u.s one chunks in and then it all gets recompiled uh you know from these different different individual pieces uh so that your transaction can go through. That's the idea behind a blockchain. It's a very secure way of doing something. It's also why they've been talking about the technology of blockchain chain to uh, as a as a method of kind of um, uh, processing information securely in a digital age. Uh, so this this this, te- this technology could be applicable to not only money. I guess is what we're saying, right? Um, anyway, that blockchain technology is something that you know Bitcoin. Uh, established, and it's something that I think uh, the digital dollar could benefit from. The problem is um, <clears throat> a lot of companies, a lot of the biggest companies in our economy, a lot of banks, make almost all of their money off of transaction fees. Most of them, at least. So if you don't have a necessity for a bank to, tr- to process a transaction if the pr- if the transaction is processed through the blockchain technology globally you don't have to pay for it it eliminates the bank itself which is partially why i think there's so much in- misinformation going around about blockchain and bitcoin and all these other things is because there's a lot of companies with a lot of power that are it's an existential threat these the this technology is a is is like an evolution and it's, it's threatening our old way of doing things. Banks themselves, I think, are at threat. You know, the traditional banking system is at threat. Now we have this global economic crisis happening at the same time. Hoo, hoo, hoo. We are ripe for the picking. You know what I mean? It's about time for this superior technology to take the hell off and for a lot of banks to go under. And that's really unfortunate to say. Because like I said, I don't see how the central banks go under without basically every single American feeling that in their pocketbook. Drastically. It's just a shame that we've been set up or put in this spot where this kind of failure can happen. But it can. And I think it might. So watch Bitcoin, you know what I mean? If you believe what I'm saying, right? <laughs> I'd say watch Bitcoin. I don't have very much money in there because I don't have very much money, period. You know what I mean? Like, I'm pretty fucking broke all the time. I'm trying to get out of that hole, but I'm pretty fucking broke all the time. But I got like 100 bucks in Bitcoin. Screw it. If it goes up by like 1,000% overnight, you're going to be a real happy camper with 100 bucks in there. You know what I mean? Um, if you don't have anything in Bitcoin and this thing bottle rockets overnight, you're going to be not only unhappy, you're going to be 
devastated because if that happens, I almost guarantee you the U.S. economy is crashing at the same time. The global economy is crashing at the same time. So, anyways, watch those technologies. We'll do some more research in them. If you, if you, if 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 I think if cryptocurrency is, it's very intimidating because it, it, blockchain itself is kind of a confusing technology. It's very advanced technology, and it's it's hard to conceptualize what it's doing. So, it's I think it's a good it's a good subject to kind of you know learn about, go inform yourself on, kind of kind of learn you know figure out. Uh, learn about the different coins, different coins and, and what they're created for and that kind of stuff. And uh, just so you're more up to date on what it is. So if you do, you know, if we do have kind of this evolutionary death in some sense, uh, if the dollar dies off evolutionary, the uh, Bitcoin kills it off, you're, you're ready to jump on. You know what I mean? You're ready to jump on this new technology uh, because I think it can make or break people. I think it might be one of the things that makes or, makes or breaks people moving into this new age, this new age that I think we're, we're coming into. Uh, is is whether you recognize that we have a lot of old antiquated technologies, old systems still very prevalent in the world that are, are probably um, being eliminated right now, you know. So anyway, uh, I think that's about all I got today, guys. I, it's a little shorter one than it's been for the last couple of days, but I hope you enjoyed the podcast. Um, and I will probably at this rate be back tomorrow. Who knows? You know, I've been getting a lot of, I've been kind of prolific and I'm, I'm glad about that, you know, cause there was a, a couple weeks there when this first started where I was just hitting a wall, man. And I think it's kind of funny if you listen to a lot of the other podcasts, you watch a lot of like YouTube or anything like that. There's been a huge slowdown in content creation. And I think it's because the world itself slowed down. And one of the things I, I find very interesting is, um, you know, it, to me at least, and this may seem you know, a little cocky at least, but, uh, it probably is, but I think it's true still. So I'm going to say it. Um, if you don't have content when, you know, the economy stops, then how important is your content? You know what I mean? And one of the reasons I think I hit a wall there for a couple weeks was because I was trying to figure out a way to bring you guys relevant information and content. Um, in a time when the world's has stopped and there's not a lot of there's not a lot of stories to go off of besides you know this one main one, and I think what I ended up realizing is that remarkably this podcast is set up <clears throat> this this podcast is set up remarkably well to uh, be relevant regardless of what's going on in the world, and um, so anyway, long story short, I think what I realized is uh, no, like there's actually more things I can talk about now, which is a weird thing. Uh, and I hope that you appreciate that. I hope that it benefits you because, um, you know, I know for me, at least I'm disappointed in the slowdown of content. (laughs) You know, when I go out, all these people that I've started to depend on for entertainment, uh, you know, just kind of disappear because the world stops. It's like, oh shit. Well, yeah, they kind of make sense, but what do I do now? You know? And I hope that this serves as kind of a source of entertainment and content, uh, when others are slowing down. Right. And if you do enjoy it, please like, share, and subscribe. All right, I do appreciate the support up until this point. And uh, also, I'm just having a blast doing this. This is a really cool process. I never imagined that I'd actually, you know, be what am I sitting here? 27 episodes in now. I think it's actually more like 29 episodes in. Uh, and moving on, pretty close to 200 listeners now. So, um, really cool stuff, guys. And this is this has been a lot of fun. And I, I I'm excited to continue on and see where this journey takes us. So thank you for. Uh, uh, coming on it with me. That, that sounded weird. Uh, <laughs> thank you for going on this journey with me. And I hope that, um, I hope that you're getting something from it. 
But until next time, uh, stay safe out there, okay? And I will talk to you soon. Bye-bye.